The National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities, or NASCA, is providing this podcast as a service to its members, associate members, and others. But it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of NASCA policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the NASCA Association. Views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the NASCA podcast host are those of the podcast host and do not necessarily reflect the view of NASCA or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office at nasca.org. Welcome to the official podcast of NASCA, the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Here you will find conversations, lectures, and thoughts on various topics involving controlled substances. Leading experts sharing their knowledge and ideas on today's medications, dangerous drugs, and substance abuse. NASCA is an association of state government agencies, along with various stakeholders, who oversee controlled substances. Through this association, we work together to make our country, our world, a safer place. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Alan McGill. On this episode, we close out our series on the use of psychedelic drugs, such as psilocybin and others, for the treatment of mental health and brain injuries. Our guest is Sergeant First Class Andrew Marr. Special Forces Green Beret, co-founder of Warrior Angels Foundation, and co-author of the book Tales from the Blast Factory. I hope you enjoy the program. We should probably start with your background. Maybe you Mm -hmm. could just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your history and kind of go through that. So I grew up in Texas, like born and raised. I grew up in Grapevine area, which is right in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area in the 90s. I was born in uh, early 80s. And, uh, you know, Texas uh, football is king, and that was no different for me. So football kind of ruled my life uh, all the way through high school and then uh, into college. So, yeah, I mean, so growing up and watching the Cowboys playing football, like that was my number one purpose. Uh, always been very purpose driven, defined, defined by a vision of the future. And that was football for me. Excellent uh, high school career. We, we, we won two state championships. Uh, I was highly recruited out of high school, broke my leg early on in my senior year, most missed most of my senior year, but eventually went on to get a scholarship, played college football, started all four years, all conference, academic, all American, did you know, exceptionally well there. NFL did not come calling. And uh, so I tried to ha- I had to figure out what was the, the next chapter of my life. And it wasn't a hard decision because if it wasn't going to be football, the next thing I wanted to do was go and test myself in combat. And uh, so I graduated my undergrad in 2006, enlisted. Uh, most people who, you know, get a undergraduate degree go with the uh, officer route. And uh, I knew I wanted to go into special forces, army special forces specifically. And I knew I wanted to go uh, enlisted because um, you just have a limited amount of actual operational team time. If you're an officer or a commanding officer, and that just wasn't, that didn't appeal to me. So for that reason, I enlisted and went in 
to the army in the enlisted route and uh, immediately went into the special forces training uh, pipeline after successfully passing what's called special forces assessment and selection. And uh, spent the next two years, you know, cultivating my skills and earning the right to become a qualified special forces Green Beret. That was in 2009. And then basically from 2009 until 2013, was on an operational, what we call an ODA, Operational Detachment Alpha, and uh, was basically, you know, in combat uh, for the next uh, five calendar years um, up into my uh, medical retirement from the Army. Medical retirement doing due to being just uh, in close proximity, Alan, to a uh, ridiculous amount of uh, explosive blast waves, explosions. And that's not special or specific to me. That just comes to the territory. You know, you're going to be good in anything or to become proficient in anything. You need to practice it and you need to practice it like you're going to do it in a real world scenario calls for, you know, situations that we were playing at. So that means that you do it, you know, morning, noon, night at infinitum until it becomes second nature. For me, that was, you know, putting explosive blast waves on a, a door or a breach point or place of denied uh, entry and uh, getting back what we deemed a safe distance from that, blowing it, and then going inside to, to do the, the work that we were called to do. So um, that's kind of my high-level background into Special Forces, kind of the, some of the, you know, the big highlighted areas that led to my medical retirement. I had a uh, disastrous time navigating what we'll call the military medical industrial complex. And that kind of put me on the, the new path back. That was about 2015 onto the current one that I'm at, which is, you know, it was, I think there's a better way to do this and we're going to find out what it is. And if we can do that, then we're going to find out how to turn around and deliver that to other people. So I'll stop there, Alan, and we can unpack it however you see fit. This is something that came up as I was looking over, you know, doing some research on this. And I'm trying to get a, I guess, maybe a distinction. Maybe there isn't one. Between a TBI being a physical injury, or are they all considered physical, even if you don't have an impact? Well, I think I think what we're, what we're finding with the research is leading towards, and certainly what our um, clinical observations show is that you have those two distinct categories of uh, physical and, and non-physical trauma. But what they both ultimately can lead to is the same symptomatology. And that symptomatology is really is rooted in a couple of key things. The, the main one being, as you stated, that change in or alteration in brain chemistry, most notably the neuroinflammatory inflammatory response, which is uh, necessary. But uh, if that becomes chronic, in, in other words, it doesn't turn off um, those, those inflammatory cytokines and that is extended, well, that's very detrimental to the brain, to the body, to the, you know, that central CPU being able to function properly. And that is the root. Uh, that is the root of all neurological illness, as I understand it. And so, yeah, so at, whether it's an explosive blast wave or living in a hyperaroused state of fear that becomes chronic can essentially turn on those uh, that pathway, those neurochemical, that anti, I mean, that inflammatory pathway, and that leads to the same effects. So while, while they're different at the, at the heart of it, that's what we're trying to get after is how can we identify and then mitigate and correct those types of things. You had said that 
when you had come back and you were had gone through the medical and industrial complex, what kind of medications, I mean, what kind of treatment were you receiving from the VA when you had come back from your medical, was it, is it medical leave or medical retirement, you said, right? Yeah, so I was ultimately um, forced to be medically retired uh, just due to all the uh, injuries and uh, disabilities that I was uh, labeled with. But I mean, prior to that, I got back from my last combat deployment. There's not a scratch on my body. I'm not missing an arm. I'm not missing a limb. Didn't really give any other thought to it other than about six months after I got back, started to notice or started to have symptoms that I had never had before in my life, which I thought odd, very odd. But I, I just kind of attributed that to pressing very hard on our last combat deployment, which was a uh, physically and a psychologically very taxing uh, last trip. So I thought, you know what, man, like, it's just going to take my body some time to come back online. That's fine. Problem was that it, it didn't. And instead of like slowly maybe getting better, it was rapidly becoming worse. And so very quickly, the first thing I noticed was just extreme fatigue. And that's common. That's like the number one common factor with the all head or head injuries is this overwhelming and uh, extreme fatigue, difficulty to do just mundane tasks, zero energy, able to do that. And as a high energy individual, that was, that was odd. Second one was that it was immediate impact was a complete loss of libido. And at this time, I'm 32, 33, married, still married to the woman of my dreams who uh, I had zero issues being attracted to. And uh, we had a, uh, a number of children at that time. And I say that in that manner because we have more now. But And, and so that started to cause problems uh, on the home front because uh, my wife, you know, became, became suspicious, like, well, all of a sudden you're no longer into me. So Either uh, you have somebody else or, or you don't love me, you know, was kind of her response, which couldn't have been further from the truth. But I certainly understand her perspective. But I mean, my mind frame was like, man, I got to put up with this, you know, nonsense now, in addition to the other stuff that I'm kind of dealing with. So then I started to have psychological issues, which basically I ran the gauntlet of being um, diagnosed with every, you know, mental health disorder in the book. In addition to, you know, ha- all having a number of, of new other additional problems, cognitive issues, memory issues, executive functioning uh, is diminishing, interpersonal skills are diminishing, and heightened state of anxiety, heightened state of fight or flight, depression starting to set in. And this is, I'm finding to be extremely mind-blowing because... I don't have anything that I'm really depressed over. I'm not, I wasn't hung up on anything I did in combat. Matter of fact, um, who I was at that time was the highest expression of what and who I could be as a special forces operator. So all I wanted to do was continue to do that. And now I'm finding myself in a psychological and a cognitive and emotional state that is, you know, not conducive to high performers you know, that, that is demanded of, of that arena. So I started to have these panic attacks and uh, they'd come on, you know, out with my family or at home in front of the kids or, you know, in the weight room. It didn't, it didn't matter. And the only thing I could do to slow that down, because uh, it was so overwhelming, so foreign to me was to drink, drink alcohol. 
And so I started just to, to drink all the time because I was having panic attacks all the time. And uh, it was, I was drinking and driving to and from work and it, it didn't even register that that was a bad decision. And uh, so it was kind of, uh, I had several, you know, kind of moments of clarity throughout the process though. And I was like, oh my God, like what's happening? Like uh, I'm drinking and driving. Uh, I would never do these things. I, I can't understand what's going on. Uh, all these things are, are happening now. I'm malfunctioning and I think I might be losing my mind. So you sit on it, Alan, until you can't sit on it anymore. And that was the case with me. And, you know, I raised my hand and I asked for some help. And I basically said, hey, it's not hard for me to say I need help at this point because I've been this way all my life. I've been a high performer, somebody who gets things done. And all of a sudden, these things are happening. I don't know why. Let's fix them. Let's fix them quick so I can get back to doing the things that I'm put here to do. That's when we started the litany of uh, medication. Ultimately, it was, you know, uh, double-digit medication and uh, labeled with you know, over 30 additional, um, you know, we'll call them disabilities, according to the to the system. But uh, it was antidepressants, anti-anxieties, two big ones, uh, stuff obviously for chronic pain, things to help you go to sleep, things to help you wake up, and and things of that nature. And like I said, very quickly, you know, you're dealing with 13 different medications, mind-bending narcotics and antidepressants and anti-anxieties that I noticed was making me drastically worse than when I started. So that was that kind of um, process. And, and, you know, I had about like 13, I keep using the number 13, but it was a really just say, well, it was a ridiculous number of different specialists that you're shuffled around to and no hey, one is talking to the other. Yeah. Was this just, in, uh, doctors throwing pills at you or were they yeah. actually trying to get you into therapy sessions and do other, is it just laying one medication after the other? Well, it was one medication after the other, in addition to uh, various forms of uh, psychotherapy or um, they call it the exposure therapy, which I, I didn't find uh, helpful either. So it was, uh, those were the main two. And that's the main two that we've kind of identified is there's basic, the treatment program for this is medication and, and psychotherapy. And, uh, you know, 20 odd years later, it shows to be extremely lacking and able to produce any, any long-term sustaining benefits so far as I can tell. How did you get to, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have been through therapy using psychedelics. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, so, how did you arrive at that? My path to uh, returning to my pre-injury status, the the most foundational part of that was linking up with a, a prominent neuroendocrinologist out in LA, private practices, and his work in neuroendocrinology. You know, he reached out and told me, like, listen, I um, we've been working with TBI for some time. Here's here's the here's what's going on. There's a, this neuroinflammation in your brain due to most likely damage to your hypothalamus and your pituitary, which is, you know, hypothalamus is the master gland of, of the brain. It kind of controls the uh, pituitary. Pituitary releases, releases um, hormones that are necessary to run the body. He's like, because of the neuroinflammation, I suspect, and the damage there, that caused you to become deficient or insufficient in these, what we call neurosteroids, chemistry of the brain. And so we can identify that in an objective platform being a, you know, lot lab test. So 
taking lab biomarkers, identifying where you are at, and then trying to return those levels to physiological ranges in addition to mitigating the inflammation. So that was applied to me. We're talking here about precision uh, medicine in a in really a, a natural and, and holistic manner. And that applied to me, Alan, had me reverse all the symptomatology that I was experiencing where I was able to come off all medication and be free of, of that symptomatology. That was in about 2015. So then at that point, we had started our foundation, Warrior Angels Foundation, to get that level of care to other individuals that could benefit from it. And on the route to that doctor in California, by the, his name is Dr. Mark Gordon, I just went through just about every modality within the Department of Defense and outside, you know, all the various brain, brain health clinics that were out there. And a friend of mine, also a medical doctor and former Navy SEAL, was telling me about some of his success that he had personally with a psychedelic experience and how he'd also witnessed firsthand just these transformative experiences by his other Navy SEAL peers. And he thought he could, that it could really benefit me. And I had never heard uh, of that before. Um, didn't you know, grow up where that was uh, part of my life. So I just uh, I didn't really have a frame of reference. I heard it. That's interesting. Went in one ear out the other. See him again six months or a year later at another medical conference that we're both at. He's just, again, telling me how he really thinks this would benefit my life. And I said, okay, well, let's do it. If you, if you say that's the case, I trust you. Uh, I didn't feel as if I was lacking. Um, anything in my life. I was aware that, you know, uh, probably had some emotional blockages, wasn't quite sure how to identify it or get to it. Felt I was, you know, given the best I could give. And that was kind of the segue into having my initial psychedelic assisted uh, therapy session, which was with with a uh, a compound, a molecule called 5-MeO-DMT. And that was August 6th of 2016. And that was the most profound experience, Alan, of my life to date. And that's someone who has seen a a significant amount of combat, who has uh, seven children. You know, we have a foundation that's helped uh, thousands of people. And I'm not saying all that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that to really highlight the how incredible these types of experiences can be and the long-term positive effect. I'll stop there. That's kind of the backstory that got me into it and, and happy to dial further in there as you see fit. Tell me about the the drug itself. Explain to me what one that you had taken and then yep. how the therapy went. Explain to me how the, the treatment actually works. Sure. So 5-MeO-DMT is secreted from the gland of the Sonoran desert toad uh, in the natural setting. There's also a synthetic version of it. Here's kind of the process that is uh, the most recommended for this. And this is why this is so important to have these conversations to make sure that these things are going about the right way. One is that, you know, prior to having an experience like this, you need to make sure that you're working with professionals, that they know what they're doing, that they have experience and that you can independently uh, verify that in some form or fashion. Or there's just a high degree of trust there based off of a referral from maybe somebody in your inner network. I would still would still support that kind of independent verification of credentials. And secondly is you need to know your medical background. Some 
medications and health conditions that one might be on will not be uh, congruent to taking those molecules. So that needs to be uh, identified. And then you need to understand kind of where that person's coming from. What is their experience? Do they have any experience in this realm? Do they, have they had any, you know, near death experiences of like the altered state of consciousness or uh, consciousness left the body that will help facilitators kind of understand this uh, individual's ability to kind of navigate this different type of uh, space they're going to enter into. And then working on ahead of time, you know, what the individual's intentions for going into the event are and how to kind of surrender to the experience, trusting that it's going to work for your highest and greatest good, ultimately in the end, but at all times. So things that might seem difficult or just that in the moment based on certain stories and limitations that we place on ourselves. But, you know, I would, I would categorize all things I said as proper uh, minimal prep work to identify or support somebody in it prior to an experience. Then there is the actual experience itself. And then the most important out of all this, so if it's prep work and then experience is 30% of the overall process, I'd say the last 70% to 60% is the integration work. So you rode the roller coaster, great. What are you going to do with that? And that's that process of taking that information and integrating it back into your life and seeing and allowing yourself the freedom to kind of contemplate uh, what was experienced, what was that meaning to you? Maybe what were the higher perspectives that you were able to ascertain and ultimately what what does that tie together now for you creating a uh, a better future for you and the people that you come in contact with so I, I would hope for anybody going out there that was it'd be a minimal process of the the kind of workflow that you would move through from a pre-experience to experience to post-experience and again it's going to be highly individualized based off the off the individual based off of the program they're going through and uh, the people they're working with for me, my initial experience was lacking all of that. So it wouldn't be necessarily anything I would recommend to somebody to replicate. And also why I've kind of taken an active role in, I will call it this community since 2016, to ensure that we, when we send people to these type of treatment modalities, that these things are taking place because it's of the utmost importance because ultimately, you're putting somebody in a very vulnerable position, maybe the most vulnerable position they could be in. And these things need to be taken care of, accounted for, you, ha- having the greatest intent of all parties uh, moving into the experience and the integration if we're looking to create sustainable long-term you know, changes, impacts, benefits, which we are. So, Well, tell me mechanically how it works. Like, in other words, you know, when you go to the doctor, he gives you an examination physically looks at you, hands you medication or some other type of treatment, physical therapy or, or whatever it is, and then send you on your way. And generally you go more medication and you're on a, a regimen of that. So is that mm-hmm. the same thing here? Or are we talking about a different setup of treatment? How does it it's work? It's a different setup. So usually this is one of three categories in, in the community that, that we serve. It's uh, one that somebody is uh, suffering from, you know, post-traumatic stress or uh, treatment-resistant depression or chronic uh, anxiety, number one. Number two, they have cognitive deficit from secondary to traumatic brain injury. 
And then number three, they're looking for a spiritual experience or just to improve as a process of self-improvement or or self-evolution. In the case of 5-MeO-DMT, it is a compound that is smoked. Now, the in the natural form, the synthetic form, I believe, you know, it can be ingested any any number of ways. And I'm not an expert psychedelics by any means. I, I am experienced. But the mechanic works here is that you ingest that, that works to, on certain portions of the brain, some of it uh, essentially turns the knob down and some turns the knob up. Think of it in a relationship to uh, frequency. It tunes the brain to a certain frequency, and that certain frequency is not the everyday uh, normal waking consciousness, but it is consciousness. It is a different frequency level of consciousness, and that different frequency level has access to information from a different plane of awareness. A, you can think of it as a higher plane of awareness. And because it's a different frequency level that you don't have waking access to, well, you don't have access to that perspective. You don't have access to that insight. You don't have access to that intelligence. But it exists. It exists right now. And so this is the bridge or the gateway to move from, to think of it as one frequency band to another frequency band where you exist right now. And that's scientific to be measured. Are you monitored while this is happening? Or are you doing this alone? There's somebody yeah, with you uh, guiding so, you through it, like a doctor yeah, or a psychologist yeah, or something yeah, like that? Absolutely. Um, what we do is we have stuff that we've supported in the past. We'll have, you know, board certified doctor in neurology or, and or psychiatry, and then, you know, facilitators there as well. So, you know, you're, you're being monitored and guided, but really left alone, unless you, you know, you showing some signs of, of needing help and you're allowed then to go and experience your, you know, your inner self and, and see what there is to see, learn the lessons that you're, you know, you want to show yourself. And I mean, that's the whole experience of this is to have a experience reality or experience trauma from a higher plane of perception, a higher uh, uh, platform of awareness that um, is not stuck in the loops of the the previous state of perception. And you can start to understand things at at a higher degree. You can start to see how, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in a loop there and that's not benefiting my life. And yes, that was a uh, difficult thing, but now I can change. We can't change the past, but we can change the influence of the past. And what these molecules allow people to do is to have a higher degree of uh, insight to past traumas and change if one so chooses the influence that has on them. And then that point, they're able to redefine the future. So we can change the influence of the past. And by doing that in the present moment, you can redefine the future for the individual, which pulls them out of the loop, pulls them out in a certain timeline and puts them in a different timeline, better timeline, a higher timeline for the individual, which simply means something that's better for their life. And I think this is what the, uh, all the research is showing. This is what the clinical evidence is showing. And this is what been, has been our you know, clinical observations uh, as well. Do you know if it changes the brain chemistry back to a normal state? Do you know if it changes the physicality of the brain in any way? 
Yeah, so it changes the neurobiology and the neurochemistry for sure by going to a higher platform of uh, perception, if you will. That's a new experience. That's an experience in which one has never had. That's an experience in which there might be no words to describe. But now that experience is real. It's real because it's been experienced. And that means it's stored in the brain. And that means that there is new neurochemical neurobiological pathways there to support that experience, which also means that there's new connections, there's new neural networks that connect certain parts of the brain that might either have never been connected before or because of an injury where that those ties were severed. And now that those ties are now re-strengthened and revitalized. That's called neuroplasticity. And that's absolutely what's going on here. And, you know, novel events is going to cause the brain to react and to change in positive ways. And so that's some of the mechanics as I understand it, although I'm not a neuroscientist, but, you know, it just, it's easy to break it down that way and say, yeah, well, a hundred percent that would, that would alter and change uh, neurobiology and uh, neurocircuitry and uh, neurochemistry if those new experiences were in fact take place. Is this something that requires a maintenance therapy or is it a one and done or does it take a couple of times? What's the long-term, I guess, therapy outlook when you start something like this? Well, you know, it's, it's, there's different modalities. So like you said, uh, psilocybin is one, MDMA is another, ketamine is, uh, is another, and there could be different schools of thought on each of those. It's all dependent on the individual. Some will need um, multiple sessions. I think MDMA sessions is requiring uh, three actual MDA, MDMA sessions and a total of 10 uh, psychotherapy sessions. Now, don't beat me up out there, guys, if I'm inaccurate, but that's the essence of, of um, what that, that current program is looking at, and that's being done by uh, MAPS. I believe that's in uh, phase three clinical trials. That's Rick Doblin's uh, group uh, out there doing a great job. Something similar yet different with psilocybin and, and ketamine. And so what they found is, is that the individuals after they've gone through that process report that they're no longer depressed or they're no longer have anxiety and they no longer need selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and they no longer need anti-anxiety medication and they have a, a new found purpose and they have a new connection to life and they have a heightened state of their interpersonal skills are, are, are better. And six months after therapy, you know, that seems to be true for, I think, about 60% of the cases, potentially more. So will some need a maintenance dose? Yes, absolutely. Will some be one and done? Yes, absolutely. And then I guess the you know vast majority or fall somewhere in between. That's fascinating. Do you have anything else that you want to add on on this that maybe I forgot to cover? You know, we're we're successful at from a policy level uh, picking up where things kind of fell off in the seventies. So essentially, the the research on all these compounds and molecules has just hit us a brick wall, and a lot of these mo- molecules and compounds are. Scheduled as uh, class one drugs, as I'm sure you and your uh, audience know, which means there is absolutely zero, zero therapeutic benefit. And we know that that uh, it's just inaccurate, grossly and wildly inaccurate. So what we, uh, you know, what's happening now is across the state, you're seeing 
different legislation come into play. Obviously, you know, we've seen what's happened with cannabis over the years, but uh, specifically now with, like you said, MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, and a lot of research out on that. We were successful in Texas last year getting a bill passed called the House Bill 1802. It's one of the um, unanimous uh, votes in, in Texas uh, congressional history, getting both sides to to support it in both the House and the Senate. And what it was simply was, was, hey, let's uh, we want to run a clinical study with MDMA, psilocybin, and do a, a meta-analysis on, on ketamine, or it was a meta-analysis on uh, psilocybin and ketamine, and then the clinical studies on MDMA. With combat veterans uh, in Texas who have treatment-resistant depression and or has been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. And uh, that will take place through the Baylor College School of Medicine here in Texas. And I believe we hope to pick that off here at the end of this year. But that was the first state-funded research for combat veterans to try a different treatment modality other than the only two FDA-approved drugs to treat post-traumatic stress, which are uh, SSRIs. And so we're seeing that continue to kind of steamroll into another number of other states. A state that you're in, Pennsylvania, is another one with uh, psilocybin. So we'll be out there supporting some of the work that's going on there in the next week or so out there at the Capitol. And also, you know, spoken with the current administration on a federal level. And, you know, I think things are changing in a, in a positive way. So I think by 2023, the FDA will uh, have everything will have cleared as far as MDMA, uh, psilocybin. And those two at that point at a federal level will be legal, become legal to use in a clinical environment, in a clinical setting for people who could uh, benefit from it. One of the reasons that we were successful in the legislation in Texas was that Instead of trying to, you know, push for decrim or legalization, it was like, hey, we just would like to have a study <laughs> and we would like to see what results are produced. And once we have those results, we would have, we would like to publish them. And then once we're published, we would like to come back here and we would like to discuss based on the outcomes of the study, what we should do next, you know, and uh, I don't know why anybody couldn't get behind that. And I think that's why it was successful in the, in the way that it, it, it rolled out. So, um, our foundation, a lot of what it's been doing is known for is in the realm of supporting people with traumatic brain injury. And we have found that this uh, psychedelic assisted therapy absolutely is um, very supportive as a part of a, um, a holistic care model that uh, treats an individual's um, underlying conditions. And so that's very much what we've been dedicated to doing since uh, 2015. What's the name of your foundation again? The Warrior Angels Foundation. And that's primarily what you do is assist veterans in connecting with these therapies? Correct. So tell me about your book, too, because you have a book out. Is that right? It was uh, Tales from the Blast Factory. It's about my personal uh, struggle and downward spiral with, you know, basically what what is it like to have a, a traumatic brain injury? What is it like to navigate the system? What is the bottom? What does the bottom look like in a case? And but more importantly, what can you do about it? And what is, what, is there anything that can identify and treat the underlying conditions like that? And is there any hope? Is there any answers? Is there any healing that can, can come from individuals that have this type of an injury? And the answer is yes, there's answers. Yes, there's hope. And, and yes, there's healing. And if today 
if I was five, seven years ago on 13 medications, I was labeled with 30 plus disabilities. I was forced to be medically retired from the army, told that I couldn't be in close proximity to explosion anymore. And that I wasn't able to take care of myself. And then today I'm symptom and medication free and I'm performing as good, if not better than my pre-injury status. Then if I can do it, that means somebody else can do it. And not only that, Alan, we've helped to bring that and replicate those types of results thousands of times. So we've proven that pigs can fly. So how many pigs do you need to see that fly before you say, yeah, that, that, that can happen. We can predict, we can measure and we can replicate it. So, you know, we have the whole process there and that's what the book has been all about. Really more information, how to put information out there that, uh, and again, don't take our word for it, but through the information that we could put out and go and independently check and see if that's something worth maybe your time and looking into if you have some of these problems. Many people don't know that they're not suffering from a mental health injury. They're suffering from a brain health injury. And if we can identify, support, heal the brain, then lots of times these so-called mental health issues resolve. So treating it as an actual physical injury. And uh, so that's what the book's about, pushing that information out so people can get make informed decisions about their life, their health, their loved ones. Where can folks get the book? Can they get it on Amazon? It's or? sold where any uh, books are sold. Definitely get it on Amazon. That's then been turned into a major uh, Hollywood documentary. We're up for several Academy Awards last year with it. Didn't take any home. But the, the film is called Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain. And it shows not only uh, my story, but a number of other people from the special operations community a number of you know NFL players, uh, Hall of Famers, big wave surfers, and then what I'll call just everyday normal people that wake up and have families and go to work and, and do their best. Point being is, here's a baseline of what rock bottom looks like from this injury. And here are different so-called alternative treatment modalities that are out there that are evidence-based and scientifically valid that have proven to help people. And it's going to follow kind of a number of different storylines, as well as show a number of prominent doctors, uh, neurologists, uh, neuroscientists, in addition to the, you know, the, uh, the, the patients, if you will. So very proud of that work. Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain. That also is available any place that you can download or stream films outside of Netflix. So every other platform but Netflix, Quiet Explosions is on. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was great talking to you. And this is an important conversation, important information to get out. And thank you again for all the work that you're doing and for your service and for the foundation and everything else. And uh, I'm so glad you're doing well. Wish you continued success. Thank you. I want to thank Andrew Marr for sharing his story with us. You can pick up a copy of Andrew's book, Tales from the Blast Factory a brain-injured Special Forces Green Beret's journey back from the brink. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or just about anywhere books are sold. There's also an audiobook narrated by Andrew himself, and you can find that on Audible. For more information on TBI, Education, Research, and Outreach, check out Andrew's foundation, Warrior Angels Foundation. This inspired the award-winning film, Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain. That's Warrior Angels Foundation at warriorangelsfoundation.org. On behalf of the Executive Committee and Education Committee of NASCA, 
I'm Alan McGill. The Executive Board of NASCA and the Education Committee would like to thank you for joining us. The music for this podcast was provided by Joseph McDade. And if you like Joe's music, please visit josephmcdade.com. You can support Joe on Patreon. You can also find all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever podcasts can be found. I also want to thank our platinum, gold, and silver sponsors. Without them, we could not provide educational opportunities such as this podcast. NASCA also invites you to join us at our annual training conference, where we educate through networking, exchange of ideas, and by experiencing some of the best speakers on current topics and trends involving controlled substances. To learn more about NASCA, our conferences and educational programs, visit our website, nascsa.org. That's nasca.org. I hope you learned something and moved forward. Please join us again on our next podcast.